we are gathered here today once again to talk about anime. And I'm your host this week for this little shindig we're throwing alongside the one who is always entertaining and interesting and knowledgeable, Guardian Enzo. Good morning. Good morning. Or is it? Oh, it's still morning. So a little, a little bit of a note here, dear listeners. I messed up last uh, yesterday, which is when we usually record on a Friday, and we shifted it over to today. And we were hoping, at least I was hoping, that we'd get some more news out of this little delay. But it seems like it's been a relatively slow week. However. I do think there is enough news and enough interesting things here that we'll still have a grand old show. So before we get into what we like to call the icebreaker, Guardian Enzo, how have you the been ass this breaker? week? The icebreaker? That's news to me. Oh, icebreaker. Oh, never mind. Never mind. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Do I want to know what you've been doing before the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no no i just you you i just thought i i thought i would had logged into the wrong podcast there for a minute uh, you had me confused uh okay sorry you were about to say i was about to say we're transitioning over to an snm podcast and oh. it's going to be all about ass breaking from here on oh on. well that should have been part of our fan service podcast actually all right <laughs> moving on um so how are you no ass is broken i hope no, I'm uh, I'm fine. Uh, you know, uh, it's that time of year when the voice starts to get a little scratchier in the morning. The heat's on at night sometimes, and uh, uh, that always dries the room out. And so, if I sound a little a little a little dry in the throat today, that's the reason. It always happens to me once I turn the aircon on. In the by the way, for our listeners who don't know this, this is an interesting bit of trivia. In Japan, heat and air conditioning are both called aircon. So uh, even in the winter, when you turn the heat on, it's aircon, which I found to be quite counterintuitive when I moved here. Uh, but that's just how it is. It's one of those many Waseego. Those those we should do a whole show about Waseego sometime. About all those uh, all those uh, English words that make their way to Japanese, and some of them not only they all change their pronunciation and their spelling. Some of them change their meaning too, which is kind of interesting and can that can really be a curveball for English speakers trying to learn Japanese when they see an English word and they think, oh, I know what that means. And it turns out in Japanese, it means something completely different. Interesting. I will say it makes sense to me that air con uh, heating is air con because you're conditioning the air in a way. Right. Literally. Yeah, literally it does. But my whole life I was brought up to think air conditioning means let's turn the cool on, you know? Yeah, and I think uh, modern heating systems, especially if you have central air conditioning or central heating, you are actually pushing air into your vents and into your house. So um, I'll agree with the Japanese. They probably took this uh, convention and took the scientific reasoning behind it. We're like, oh, yeah, it's air conditioning. So Also, because in Japan, it's the same unit that pumps out both because they almost nobody has central heating. Or air conditioning here, it's all these wall-mounted, I'm sure you've seen them in many animes, yep. these wall-mounted units with the rem- Remocon. And uh, so the same unit pumps out cold in the summer and hot in the winter. And by the way, it's more expensive to heat your apartment than it is to cool it. So uh, winter can be a bit of a drag when the power bills come. Right, right. Um, are you a fan of winter otherwise, though? Yes, I like winter. Yeah, I, I like I like snow and wish we got more of it in the big Japanese cities, which we don't, generally speaking, other than like up north in Sapporo and Hakodate and stuff. But uh, I, the summer is a season I hate because I hate hot weather. 
Uh, Japan summer is especially vile because it's so humid. Winter, I don't mind cold weather. My my feeling is if it gets really cold, you can put on more layers of clothes. But when it's really hot, there's only so many layers you can lose. Yeah, before it becomes a public indecency thing. Exactly. For sure. Um, so have you ever gotten a kotatsu? I want to talk about this because for a no. second. And this no. will be our icebreaker. Because mm. the whole concept of kotatsus is super interesting. We see it in anime all the time. It's this table that you can put your legs under and it war- it's warm and everybody kind of like coalesces underneath it. And it's this ultimate lazy thing. And I that is quintessential winter to me is just being like in front of a warm thing or under something that makes you Mm. warm and then just Mm. kind of like chilling. So, yeah, I've never had one and I don't think they're as popular as they used to be, but they're definitely still a thing in Japan. Uh, I just, by the way, the best anime manga for Kotatsu uh, material is definitely Minami K. No question about it. But I think I was just thinking to myself all my life, you know, with my family growing up, we always had cats. And I was thinking if we'd had a katatsu, the cats would never have been anywhere else. If that thing was on, they would have been there. And if it wasn't on, they would have been staring at us wondering why it wasn't on. So uh, the cats would have loved it even more than me. But it always has sounded like a really great idea. I'm with you. I like the idea of like getting a nice hot cup of tea and curling up under the katatsu. And it's like the apartment's cold and I don't care. The whole idea of the kotatsu really is you don't have to heat the whole apartment, which is expensive. You just heat yourself. Right. And that one area where you can kind of stay warm. It's kind of like in the U.S. how we like fireplaces and stuff like that, which are installed into homes. Maybe not the same thing, but. Or an electric blanket would be another parallel you could draw. An electric blanket for when you're awake. Yeah, yeah. Or in the car during a snowstorm. That's true. Okay. Speaking of storms, let's get into this week's uh, big topic. And before we do that, I do want to throw out a quick announcement. Um, I know we've been doing user feedback at the beginning of the podcast, but since most of uh, you dear listeners have been really great about sharing your feedback and your questions, and sometimes they're kind of interrelated, what I'm going to do starting this week, and I think Guardian Enzo, you can tell me if you disagree, is we'll just throw listener questions and feedback into one section at the end. Uh, we'll we'll cover any corrections we get from you guys if we mess up, because that should be at the top of the uh, the order of business. But we'll we'll get to everything at the end. How does that sound to you? Yeah, I well, I you know, since I'll be hosting next week, I have the benefit of seeing how it goes this week in the new system before I decide. <laughs> but in in principle, it sounds fine to me. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I don't think it. I have no intrinsic uh, philosophical disagreements. All right. If everybody has any objections, stay quiet because we're moving on to the anime news. The anime news. All right, everybody. Before you shout your objections and point your fingers towards me, hear all the evidence and all that I have to present to you today. And we'll start, as we like to generally, with the Oricon rankings. And since it's my week this time... I'm going to start with the light novels, which, you know, we'll just glance over it really quickly. The interesting thing here is that at number one is Haikyuu, which I didn't know had a light novel, but there is one. Uh, number two, guess, guess who it is? Guardian Enzo. Uh, Demon Slayer. Right. And number three. And, and number three. four. And number five. <laughs> no, number nope. five oh. is... Uh, 
uh, Konosuba. Uh, oh. And then number six is your friend uh, Kimitsu no Yaiba. Okay. Number seven is Kimitsu no Yaiba. Mm. And the number eight, welcome to the classroom of the elite. Uh, number nine is fan story, which I don't know about. And then number 10, just because it can, Kimitsu no Yaiba again. Mm, there you go. So Kimitsu no Yaiba dominating anime, manga, and light novels. Uh, let's go, speaking of manga, let's go to manga really quick as well. And Haikyuu is a Again at the top here. So Haikyuu doing really well. I wonder if it was because Tanaka got that trending trending thing going on. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it was. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, it could be. Uh, We've got Chainsaw Man number nine uh, Mm. at number two. We've got Haikyuu again, which is the final guidebook, which I don't know what that is. That's not a manga volume, but... It's it's in the list, and then Kimitsu no Yaiba is at the fourth position this time with twenty second volume. Doctor Stone ended up at five with its eighteenth volume. Kurosetsuji is back at number six with its thirtieth volume. Uh, Kimitsu no Yaiba is at seventh with its fifth volume. Kimitsu no Yaiba again at number eight with its third volume, at number nine with its fourth volume. And at number 10 with its first volume. So Kimitsu no Yaiba dominating yet again. But not only, but not having nine or 10 spots in the top 10, so an off week. Right, right. It, it, it's taking a little bit of a rest after it tackled and defeated everything. Uh, moving on to anime DVD, we've got One Piece's 20th season, uh, the Wano Kuni uh, arc, uh, the 11th, I think, volume of that. So that is at number one in anime DVD. So One Piece making a little return. Anna and the Snow Queen, which I think is still a better title than Frozen, honestly speaking. I agree. I agree. Uh, Frozen 2 is at number two. Number three is Kimitsu no Yaiba. Number four is Kimitsu no Yaiba. <laughs> number five is Kimitsu no Yaiba. Six, <laughs> seven, eight, nine, and ten is Kimitsu no Yaiba. Okay. And they're all the limited edition uh, various volumes, so... Basically, Kimitsu no Yaiba cleaned up house there. And then let's check out Blu-ray and see if Kimitsu no Yaiba did anything else there. What do you so, think? <laughs> it's 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 definitely going to be in there. But Princess Connect Redive actually got uh, the top spot here. Oi. Uh, and then How to Raise Her, which is the How to Raise mm. a Perfect Girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. That one is number two. Number three is the movie version of High School Fleet, which... Which is, I think, cute girls doing cute things, and then it's Yahari at number four. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And then Frozen came back again. All right. And then finally at six, we've got our hero Kimitsu no Yaiba. Oh, okay, okay. And seven, and eight, and nine, and ten. So okay. Kimitsu no Yaiba eking in there, but all the uh, cute girls doing cute things—they definitely have the hearts of the otaku uh, going there. Any hmm. comments? Guardian ends on any of this? Just the uh, Haikyuu, the the final guidebook is like a uh, a one-shot volume that they released after the series ended with like additional information about all the teams and interviews and like original artwork and stuff like that. So just basically a final collector piece for the Haikyuu fans at the end of the series. Yeah, got to get some of that money going on there. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, let's jump into... The first part of our anime news, which is the series announcements. And we'll start with something you put into the docket, but definitely something very interesting. 
And this is that Ghibli is doing their first CG feature, which is called Earwig and the Witch. Mm. And they've announced a bunch of things. They're releasing it on December 30th. Uh, they talked about the staff. So tell me about this. What is so exciting or not exciting about it? And what do you feel about Ghibli doing a CG movie now? Well, you know, Ghibli did, they did a, t- a TV CGI series, which was Ranja, uh, based on the, uh, based on the very, very famous Swedish children's story, uh, which I thought that the Ranja anime was actually quite good. Did you see Ranja, the anime? The TV anime? I did not. I did not. How old is this? 26 episodes. Ah, uh, maybe 2015, I want to say 2016, something like that. Um, oh, wow. And it's, uh, it started out a little slowly, but it ended up being quite good. And it is CGI, but, you know, it's Ghibli is a, they, they have some money still. They, it's pretty good quality CGI, and the backgrounds and stuff were all done by Ghibli background artists, which made it. It looked like a Ghibli anime, even though it was uh, CGI in terms of the actual character movement and stuff. And it was also directed by Miyazaki Goro, so uh, he seems to have become sort of uh, he seems to have become sort of the the CGI head at Ghibli. Uh, I think one of the reasons I I put this in here is because I think anything Ghibli does is noteworthy because they're not super super active in production these days. They're really more of a licensing company than anything else. Um, I would obviously prefer, uh, you know, traditionally animated Ghibli to CGI Ghibli and the new Hayao Miyazaki movie, which if he ever finishes it is going to be traditionally animated, but, uh, Hayao was involved in the planning with this. I always root for Goro because I know that he's kind of gotten the raw end of the stick as far as like parenting <laughs> is concerned. Oh yeah. His dad yeah. humiliating him on national TV. Yeah. And, and so, um, I, I think he's actually, we talked about this before. I really think up on Poppy Hill is an excellent film. I think that showed what this guy can do. Um, and you know, th- there's always this whole next Miyazaki label that gets dumped on people like Shinkai and Hosoda, but he literally is the next Miyazaki, and he was the one who had to live with that kind of pressure his whole life. Uh, and he actually ended up going into a totally different career and sort of getting drawn back into into Ghibli, maybe because it was the family business, or maybe because he just loved the animation that much that he couldn't tear himself away from it. So, you know, this is an interesting idea. That's a musically, it's a musical theme. Um, it's based again. It's based on a western, on a western. Uh, story, a Western fairy tale book kind of a thing, children's book. I have no idea if it's going to be anything spectacular, but, you know, it's Ghibli, it's new, it's Goro Miyazaki. I think it's at least noteworthy, and I'll certainly be checking it out. Yeah, uh, Ghibli or Ghibli, as I like to call them because I'm stupid, but um, Ghibli, uh, Ghibli did do a collaboration uh, with a video game, which was Nino Kuni, which came out with an unrelated Netflix movie but Nino Kuni was CGI it was the cell shaded CGI and I think it looked really really nice it did so I think they definitely with CG it's interesting that they're not going for the cell shaded look they are going for a traditional almost Pixar-esque CGI look which it seems like anime as a whole is doing and we'll talk more about that in a little bit but it is interesting that Ghibli I guess and I, I guess that would makes sense with their whole history of being inspired by Disney as that's the direction Disney and a lot of Western animation is going into as well. So uh, yeah, I'm excited for this a little bit more than anything else, because like you said, 
I actually don't like Miyazaki's works as much. There, there's stuff that he's done earlier in his career that I enjoyed more, but some of the off kilter stuff like uh, Poppy and the uh, and the Hill, like you were saying, that Ghibli stuff is what I've enjoyed, and I'm I'm curious to see Goro take another shot at it, and hopefully his dad doesn't do more damage to it because how many people were probably excited for this heard Miyazaki's words and then that movie probably was ultimately ruined because of that bias well yeah I mean it also I think it's also worth pointing out that the author of the original uh for this is Diana Wynne Jones and if that name sounds familiar it's because she also wrote the novel that uh Howl's Moving Castle is based on so um, which is one of my favorite Ghibli movies well there you go and 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 it's Hayao Miyazaki too so uh there is there is a previous connection here with with the Miyazaki family and with Ghibli so uh and as you said this is almost more of a Pixar look where if you look at Ranja the Robber's Daughter uh that one is more of a cel-shaded um CGI it is more of an anime CGI if you will um so this is a bit of a different direction for them uh, and this is their first fully CG feature film. As I said, they've done TV, but this is really their first fully CG feature film. Was Nino Cooney full CGI? Was it 100% CGI? So it was CGI, but the technique they used was cell shading, and they okay. did such a good job of it that it looked like a, a Ghibli movie mm. uh, just animated. And, and it wasn't actually produced by Ghibli, was it? It was sort of Ghibli cooperation. They collaborated. Yeah, they yeah. collaborated with it. They did some of the art, the concept art, the look, the feel, the story, uh, that kind of stuff. So mm. it was level five in Ghibli. Level five for people who are interested is uh, the Professor Layton stuff. So mm. lots of game reference, but they've also done an OAD on that. And uh, there's been collaborations with Phoenix, right? So that whole group, it seems like there's some collaboration and some cross-pollination. Uh, and Games have a history of doing this. Makoto Shinkai used to work at Falcom, who do a lot of RPGs, and this is something I found out two days ago. So I'll link a video in the description about Falcom's uh, whole history, but they actually had a lot of animators that went on to do big things like Makoto Shinkai. There you go. Anyway, speaking of movies, uh, let's talk about a movie that you are probably not as excited about. <laughs> and honestly, I am not either, but I did want to mention this because there's two notable things about it. First, uh, obviously it's a sort of online movie. Uh, it's the progressive anime. It's a sort of online progressive. And this was supposed to be the one where we see the story through the eyes of Asuka uh, or Asuna, sorry, not Asuka, Asuna, uh, who is the main uh, heroine slash main lead of the franchise and who is more often than not kind of the damsel in distress, even though she's a pretty strong character. So this was the big the big thing where people were excited that she was finally getting her shot after the brief uh, focus she got in season two. And then it ended up being an anime movie instead of an anime series, which is what a lot of people were expecting. So any thoughts on this? This is from the original arc, the Aincred arc, as they call it. So it's before Sword Art Online got really, really bad. Mm. Well, I mean, even if Sword Art Online weren't one of the most sexist uh, franchises in a, in anime, I think I probably still wouldn't be interested in it because I, I just got bored with it so quickly. Um, so honestly, uh, I kind of hate this Marty Stu main character. I hate the way the, the, the main heroine is, as you say, the damsel is stress. And I, I think... 
honestly, for me, the writing in this franchise is is pretty pretty sloppy a lot of the time. Um, I tried various times to go back and try other elements of it and see, well, maybe I'll like this better. And it just, it's not for me. It's not for me. Yeah, I might give it a look. I've uh, been kind of up and down with the the franchise. Some parts of it I've liked, some parts of it I've detested. The movie that they released, I actually kind of thought was probably the best work, even though it was kind of anime original. So we'll see uh, for Sword Art Online fans, because I don't, I don't think it's terrible enough that people can't be a fan of it. No, it's fine. Yeah. It's not Goblin Slayer. Yes, it's not Goblin Slayer, which is something any anime can put on the back of its DVD Blu-ray cover and come out a winner. There <laughs> you go. It's not Goblin Slayer. <laughs> mm. Speaking of something, uh, speaking of sexism, because we mentioned this last week, mm, we Seven Deadly Sins, the yep. final series uh the final arc that has been announced uh for 2021 uh so there's two parts of this that i want to talk about first it's the anime which obviously is doing its final arc and it's i believe it's really it it got delayed because of covid it's releasing in japan uh on january 6th and then netflix has confirmed that worldwide it will get released in 2021 sometime so probably soon soonish after the, the reason I think this is notable, even though we've both kind of noted that we're not as interested in Seven Deadly Sins for a variety of reasons, is the fact that this is probably the first anime series that Netflix has done, a shonen or a manga adaptation, that's basically gotten its full adaptation. So what's your thoughts on that, uh, Guardian Enzo, the fact that we have our first anime that's been fully adapted, or f- first manga that's been fully adapted? Well, I mean, it was going to happen whether Netflix did it or not, because it's supremely popular. But it it is notable that I think it's notable that this is a property that Netflix chose to get directly involved in, because as we've discussed and possibly will discuss more, they they one of the things Netflix seems to be doing is taking uh, taking anime into some less traditionally anime directions, and this is traditional anime as traditional anime gets right. So. Uh, it, it's like this is a if maybe this is sort of like uh, an indication that Netflix is not they're not neglecting the traditional anime piece of this as as part of their financial model and something like a, a popular ultra safe anime manga franchise like Seven Deadly Sins is 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 you know that's something they can sort of say okay we know exactly what this is going to do we know exactly how much money it's going to make within a few hundred yen probably um so you know and netflix has never been allergic to sequels there was no reason to think they would be in anime either and they're not so um you know i i think if anything if i was a fan of a franchise i would be happy to see netflix get it because i think that would indicate that it's probably more likely to get a continuation than if it was a non if it was a non netflix series yes i agree but the one thing i will note because Guardian Enzo, you dropped the series, so you might not be aware of this. But at the end of season three, which is technically season two, because they call the OVAs season two, and then season two is season three. But anyway, uh, at the end of season three, they jumped the shark a lot, and they skipped a ton of manga and adapted it into this quick montage. So mm. manga fans are actually not a huge fan of this series oh. or the production staff, because they shortchanged one of the biggest parts of the story and i agree that was that was the breaking point for me was when i felt like i had missed five episodes of story and had just been skyrocketed further 
uh, a la Subasa Reservoir Chronicles. Oh, man, I can't speak. Ahem. As Subasa did with its OVA, if you remember that. I do. I do. Okay. So before we move on from Seven Deadly Sins, I do want to talk about this piece of news, which makes the whole final arc thing kind of moot, I think. So Seven Deadly Sins' uh, sequel manga is going to launch in January, which is around the time the first series is going to get its final anime series. So what are your thoughts on this piece of it? Is it really a a final story if there's a sequel to it? Cha-ching! That's my thoughts on this. I mean, you know, I will at least give uh, Mishima. Is it Mishima? Is that the Mashima? Who is the author of Fairy Tale? Mishima or Mashima? I always forget. Mashima. 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 Hero Mashima. Um, I give him credit at least for making his next series not a sequel to Fairy Tale because I'm sure there would have been. And it is sort of a sequel too because Happy's in it, right? So, I mean, but it isn't really a sequel. Well, actually, actually, mm. quick, quick thing. He is there is a sequel manga to Fairy Tale going on, but it's not him. It's he is uh, doing the storyboards for it. So, oh, okay. He was he was asked by his publisher to do it. He wasn't personally interested in it, but okay. obviously the cha-ching, as you said. Yeah, which again, I can't blame him for that. I mean, if 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 they they have the right to do that, whether he signs off on it or not. Um, so I'm sure he probably said, uh, you know, well, at least let me do this part of it. So it isn't like a total bastardization of, of my property. Um, uh, but you know, would, this would be an interesting topic for us to talk about actually would be, would be sidebar manga and sequel manga and that are not penned by the original manga ka. Well, I think that would be a very interesting kind of a, kind of a topic to get into a little deeper because there's some interesting examples of this out there. Uh, but in generally speaking, no, it's not a final arc if there's a sequel manga, but here's my, here's what I would say. It can be because I mean, if you look at major and major second, for example, um, major and major does end major is Goro's story and it ends at a point where Goro's story, you know, narratively, it makes sense for it to end. Major second is Daigo's story. Uh, so even though Goro is in it, uh, he's the Gendo Ikari of that series. Uh, I think um, I think one can reasonably say that Major was a distinct series with its own ending, and Major Second is is something different. And I think that could theoretically be true with Seven Deadly Sins. Whether it ends up being true with Nanatsu, I don't know because I don't follow the series closely enough. I will say, if the sequel is not written by the original manga ka, then I would say for sure the original final arc would be one I would look at as a final arc. Because then anything else that comes along is kind of sort of like half canon. Yeah, and I think this one does have a, a new protagonist, a boy, a new enemy, a new mm. animal companion. So they're they're definitely doing that. The interesting thing is, why couldn't you just continue the current manga and do a sidestep? Uh, and I think that'll be the interesting thing here is because um, Suzuki is more interested in doing these side stories that he wants to work on. And Suzuki's the mangaka. So it's, it's a very interesting and he wants to work on a new work. So I think this might be financially just something that people rope in, especially with the Netflix popularity. Uh, it's the same thing that I think happened to Naruto, which did the same thing that fairy tale is doing where Boruto is actually like, it's a sequel, but it's not being done by the original creator, but he's involved. And, and I think that whole thing, it just it just muddies the waters a lot. Uh, and it's I think it's a way for 
uh, fans to get cashed out of stuff. So, yep, I agree with that. All right, so I think that about wraps up the series news segment. So we'll move on to the other thing, which I like to talk about, which we we kind of title as just misc news. And I want to start by, as usual, going into Kimitsu no Yaiba, which is now <laughs> the number seven film worldwide of 2020, which is kind of impressive. Any quick comments on this as it continues to rise? My question is, well, I mean, it's done at basically 200 million in business in Japan alone. Uh, which is, it's now the fifth highest earning film of all time in Japan. And this is in the middle of a pandemic when many, if not most theaters are still limiting seating. It's it's quite astonishing. Uh, how high do you think it will go? I mean, do you think, I mean, I guess we have no way of knowing because frankly, a lot of, a lot of countries still have very, very limited uh, you know, we still have COVID here and it's actually the numbers are rising, but in, in, in some countries we're going back into lockdowns and stuff. So, I mean, there's the, the amount of business this thing could have done in a normal year. I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. The one thing I've been thinking about and tell me what you think about this is, is it because it doesn't have a lot of competition right now? No. Like, are people just hungering for a movie because there's nothing coming out from Hollywood right now? There's no big superhero movies. There's no, uh, there's no, like Tenet and all that stuff got locked behind either theaters and all that stuff. So uh, a lot of movies got delayed to next year or after the pandemic. So I'm wondering yeah. if, if you want to see a good quality movie, your options are Kimitsu no Yaiba or something from old, like before. Because I actually have been looking around. My wife and I like to watch movies, whether it's on Netflix or uh, renting something or even buying the the limited release stuff, and nothing has been that good. So I'm wondering, could it have done worse because it would have had some actual competition? To in in my in my opinion, no. But we'll never know. We'll never know. It's like someone says. You know, you know, oh, could this, could the night, you know, what about the 72 Dolphins against the 85 Bears? Who would have won? Well, we'll never know uh, because we'll never know because by 1985, all the 72 Dolphins were too old to play NFL football. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's like comparing players from different eras. It's impossible. We'll never know what would have happened in a normal year. My intuition is that this thing would have made even more money if it had come out without the restrictions of COVID throttling it, I, I just, but we'll never know, but it, what, it'll be interesting to see how, how much, how high this goes in the end. I mean, and I, I don't know how the manga ends. I don't know if there's room for another movie attached to this particular specific manga, but We've talked about manga sequels, and I don't know if the manga ending precludes it. Don't answer if you know, obviously. We won't spoil it for people, but I would not be shocked if at some point we get a Kimetsu sequel manga. It just seems almost inevitable to think we will, given how massively successful the original has been. Um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll definitely see, and I'm curious to see how it does once we get access to it in the U.S. and how much money it makes there, because it may go up, it may go it may kind of just not be as big of a deal as it was in Japan. We'll see. My suspect, my suspicion, my suspect is Kimitsu no Yaiba. My suspicion is it will do well. I think it will too. Although I think actually in America, at least if you go by manga sales, 
the biggest uh, property at the moment is still Boca New Hero Academia in the United States. Yeah, superheroes are big. Yep. Uh, speaking of comics, manga, uh, I want to turn our attention over to Shonen Jump and the fact that it's launching two new manga uh, with a new series by Toriko's Shima Bukuro. And this is over uh, at Anime News Network by Crystal and Hodgkins. So uh, I believe this new manga is an architecture battle manga called Build King. Uh, mm. Any comments on this? Did you ever watch or read Toriko? Well, the reason that I think that this is an important story is because of Shima Bukuro himself. Because unfortunately, Weekly Shonen Jump is getting something of a reputation of being a haven for pedophiles, frankly. Um, Because, you know, they had the whole situation with Watsuki and uh, Nobuhiro Watsuki, the author of uh, Ruroken, which is one of my absolute favorite manga of all time. That just guts me to the end, to no end. But he's back, you know, writing Hokkaido Arc is back in Jump Square. So that's a monthly, but um, that is back. Uh, we all we already talked about what happened with uh, Act Age, uh, and and uh, that whole issue with the with the mangaka there. Uh, the whole deal with Shima Bakuro, for those who don't know, Shima Bakuro Mitsutoshi is he was arrested for uh, having sex with a sixteen year old girl, and um, it was not sexual assault per se, and that there were no accusation that it was involuntary, but it was you know it was. It was unlawful, un, un, unlawful intercourse with an underage girl, and he was sentenced to two years in prison. The sentence was suspended. I don't know the whole story behind how that all played out, but then he was away, and then Weekly Shonen Jump took him back. And the, there's a lot of there's a lot of chatter over the years because he's he is very very close friends with Oda Sensei from One Piece, right? Who basically who basically runs Weekly <laughs> Shonen Jump. Anything Oda says goes pretty much. And uh, there was a lot of feeling that he got a slap on the wrist from them because of his friendship with Oda. So I, I think, I think the reason that, I mean, I, I actually don't know much about Toriko. I never watched the anime and I never read the manga. And a lot of it came from like by the time I would have been interested in it, then I was reading up the story on on the background of the author. I was like, Ick, I don't think I want to go down that road. So they did. They you know they did suspend. They did cut out. Uh, the immediately they they canceled Act Age and they haven't brought that that artist back or the writer back I should say he not the artist so th- they haven't done that but there is there is this cloud hanging over over that publisher Shueisha and uh, you know I think it's notable I don't think it's something we should pretend doesn't exist it is and do you would you have hesitation going back and reading his new manga if you were a fan based on what happened with him in the past? I do now. I did not know about this at all. So I was actually thinking, should I check this out? I was uh, I was uh, waiting for you to tell me if it was good or not. And now I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll just gonna skedaddle in the corner. So yeah, I mean, people tell me Tariko is good. I've never read it. Yeah, my whole thing is when stuff like this happens, it's. I think there is a there is a double standard in society as a whole. It's not just Japan, where certain people uh, with power or popularity or celebrity status can get away with doing certain things, unfortunately, and that is definitely the case here. I, I'm I think he got what he deserved when he was uh, uh, tried in a court of law and given a sentence and all that stuff. So 
the one thing I would say, the one caveat to all of this is he served whatever sentence the law gave him. So at this mm. point, it's kind of like as long as he doesn't repeat what he's doing, I think he's a little bit in the clear here. Like, I don't think you should be branded for life if you've served for the thing that you've done. But I think that's a bigger topic than either yes. of us are qualified for. So I'll just sure. leave it at that. My personal feeling is I would be willing to give him a chance. But at the moment, my first gut reaction is I kind of don't want to bother. And I think the okay. the manga and anime as a whole, the whole gourmet eating thing isn't as interesting to me as something like, say, Shokugeki, where you're actually cooking the food and looking at the food service industry as a whole. Yeah, and I, I have to say, in general, I agree with you that once they've served their sentence, then they, yes, they deserve a chance to to make a living, right? Um, but it is interesting to me that his sentence was suspended and he never served any time, even though he was, he was suspended. He was originally sentenced to two years in prison. I don't know the story behind that. I don't claim to know. I just think it's, 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 but whatever his legal sentence was, he did serve it. And I have to say the same is true with Watsuki. He, he was sentenced to a, to a financial penalty and he paid it. Um, and so in the eyes of the law, he's, you know, he's, he's paid, he's, he's, paid his penalty and now you know he's he's working and people who people who break the law are entitled to make a living are they not so it's all comes down to individual choices i guess the best thing we can say mm-hmm. okay on to a little bit of a happier story so for those of you who follow gaming you know something big big happened this week uh sony and microsoft both released their new consoles uh i got a PlayStation 5, so we're going to talk about that a little bit and how it relates to anime. Uh, So Guardian Ends, the interesting thing was I got my PlayStation 5 a day later than everybody else, so that was Friday, and I set it up early this morning, I uh, like to say, and I was messing around with it, and one of the things that I was really struck by was how good the new Crunchyroll app was. A, it was completely redesigned. It was not like the PlayStation 4 app, but B, the way the PlayStation 5 is kind of giving importance to that app and how it's treating anime as a whole has me really curious. So I want to talk about a couple of things. First, if you're somebody who owns a 4K TV and has a nice one with HDR and all that stuff, the PlayStation 5 is natively HDR. And what that does for anime viewing is it actually kind of upscales anime and gives it HDR colors. So you can get a lot better quality and better colors and better depth and all that stuff. So it actually is a huge difference. I actually had my PlayStation 4 and my PlayStation 5 both connected to the TV, and I I looked at a couple of openings and swapped between them. And the difference is is staggering. So if you are one of those lucky people that have a PlayStation 5 and a nice TV, this will upscale your anime viewing. Wow. And so that's that's a cool that's a cool little thing for anime viewers, especially uh, you know, if you're waiting for I think Weathering with you is the first 4K Blu-ray that's coming out this year. So if you're waiting for stuff, this will get you close uh to a 4K experience that looks really good. And it's better than, you know, especially in the streaming space. Now, uh, the thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Guardian Enzo, is how much Crunchyroll invested in this new app. It has a ton of new features that people have been screaming about for a long time. A, it's a lot more stable. 
B, it's easier to navigate and find things. They have features like a watch list now. And on top of that, which I think Netflix and Amazon did fairly recently, Netflix has done this for a long time, but Amazon did it fairly recently. You can actually, as you're seeking and skipping, you get a little thumbnail of the scene that you're skipping towards, Mm. which Mm. is amazing if you want to skip over an uh, intro or if you want to skip over a recap or anything like that. So my big question and and my feeling from this is, given how much Crunchyroll invested in this app and how much PlayStation is supporting them, with the 4K stuff, and strangely, Funimation's app hasn't changed much at all, which also has an app on the PlayStation. So I'm wondering if the the idea of Sony buying Crunchyroll, this is another little nail in that mm. coffin. What do you think? Uh, yes, I would say yes, absolutely. My answer is yes. Uh, I would say most of the money to go into this new app probably came from Sony. They probably bankrolled it. And I think they probably bankrolled it with the idea like they knew that one way or another their their plan was we're buying we're buying CR. It's gonna it's gonna be ours. And so they were they were like, okay, we're we're gonna pump some money into this app because essentially we're investing in ourselves. That's that would be my uh, my no insider knowledge uh, reading of the tea leaves that of what's going on here. Yeah, and I know we talked about this a week or two ago, but Funimation uh, signed up with Microsoft for their Xbox All Access program and gave free three months. And it's interesting that Sony, even though they include Funimation, there's no deal or anything to compete with that. It's almost like Funimation's being uh, the app or uh, the infrastructure is kind of being forgotten about don't you think well here's a question especially once sony buys crunchyroll which i think is more of a when than an if at this point is there a need to have both definitely not yeah so i mean from my my perspective i think we all know where this is headed don't we i mean which is which among anime fans which which you know which is which is which is generally preferred, which is a bigger presence, Funimation or Crunchyroll? I mean... It depends on what you watch. So if you're a fan sub... I guess, yeah. Yeah, if you're a dub fan, Funimation actually has a lot of cachet with that. And they've done the whole simul-dub thing, which I don't think is a great thing. I know it's great for dub fans to be able to get their uh, dub fairly quickly and close to the Japanese uh, subtitle version, but I feel like the quality, just by the nature of how quick these things are thrown yeah. out, is actually worse. And some of the doves I've uh, recently, because Funimation puts their clips on YouTube, they've been egregiously bad. Yeah, and dubs, that's from a fairly low base. No offense to dub fans, but even the base level of quality for dubs is pretty low in my experience. Mm. Um, I I think it, it's been pretty clear. There are dub fans, there are sub fans, but it's it's been clear what direction this was going for a long time. And as Western fans get more sophisticated and more knowledgeable about anime, uh, they will follow the same pattern that individual fans do. Individual fans of anime, they start out when they're totally new to it. They think, oh, dubs are great. This is how it is. This is how you watch it. Eventually, as you become more knowledgeable about anime, you gravitate more and more towards most people. You gravitate more and more towards subs. Eventually, you get to the point where if you get really serious about it, like you or I are, you watch basically subs exclusively. And I think as a collective group, 
as folks like Netflix and big Western companies get more and more involved as Western anime fans, I think they're going to collectively follow that same pattern where, where by percentage they get more and more interested in, in, in subs and less and less interested in dubs until eventually if the, if the market matures the way that people like Netflix and Sony are hoping it will, subs will, will constitute 90%, 95% of the viewing audience. And I think the, the, the dichotomy you describe between Funimation and Crunchyroll, I think it's pretty clear who has the winning horse as far as I'm concerned. Yes. All right. So I'll, I'll potentially be covering the PlayStation 5 anime viewing experience on Anime Evo. So I'll have an article in the description if people are curious about how to get the HDR and what uh, difference it makes and all that stuff. So uh, interesting story. But... I want to move on to a little new segment as, you know, somebody will talk about this in the feedback section. We're experimenting a lot. And one of the experiments I want to do is introducing the concept of the story of the week or a story of the week. And it's basically where the host of that week's episode will select an article or a story and then we'll kind of spend a little bit more of a focused discussion on it just to, you know, highlight it. So I want to point people and... If you haven't read this article, I'm going to call this required reading. So you should go over to Wired and you should read this article by Cecilia D. Antasio. And it, uh, Cecilia has been a writer uh, in the games media for a long time and then popular media as well. She was at Kotaku for a while. So she's always done interesting stuff. Uh, her article is called There's Something Super Weird About Netflix Anime. It's heavy, and the subtitle reads, it's heavy on action and sci-fi, it's extremely international, and a lot of it, CG, a lot of it is CGI. Is this the future of the Japanese art form? Now, before we get into this, I will recommend people go and read this article. Pause this podcast for like five seconds. It's, it's, a, it's a decently, uh, it's a medium-sized article, but there's a lot of interesting interviews and thoughts and uh, concepts in here. What I want to do, Guardians, is I want to zero in on a couple of things. So just a quick summarize in case you were not wanting to go and read this. The article talks about a lot of things and how she's uh, she basically interviewed Sakurai, who's kind of the head of Netflix's whole anime initiative in Japan, uh, Taiki Sakurai, and he's done stuff like he worked on Ghost in the Shell Complex, Standalone Complex, and a bunch of other things. And Netflix basically hired him to kind of shepherd and be their chief anime producer back in 2017. So it's basically her talking to him and then also looping in a few uh, anime critics and journalists in Japan. And the basic idea is this concept of what Netflix is doing to anime. And she interlaces her own opinion. We'll talk about that opinion in a little bit. But the interesting thing here is that from Sakurai's perspective and from Netflix's perspective, they are actually trying to give anime producers the freedom to make any kind of story they want because anime traditionally has been very focused on the Japanese and that's kind of given it its own identity and its own feel and style. And since it's primarily made by Japanese for Japanese, what Sakurai in the article kind of points out is he's trying to get away from that. And he's mentioned that, you know, creators have always wanted to uh, collaborate with Western authors, writers, Western talent, Western studios, but 
by the nature of how Japan is and how the industry is, they've never had those connections. So in his mind, Sakurai's mind, Netflix is almost kind of like a bridge and it's creating these new opportunities and things. And Cecilia mentions, you know, um, uh, Cecilia's opinion is that, you know, anime is getting watered down. It's getting internationalized. And that's a that's a valid uh, opinion from some people. Right. Um, I, I think we've mentioned some of that as well in the past. But basically, this kind of goes counter to that. And it says that stuff like Great Pretender, which she thinks is very calculated and very international because of where it goes and stuff like that. To Sakurai and the people in Japan, this this is an opportunity to tell stories that traditionally the Japanese audience might have not taken to. So just to summarize before I turn it over to Guardian Enzo, who I'm sure has a ton to say, my perspective on this is this is a good thing. I think Japanese it, it it'll it'll have its growing pains, but I want to see stories that Japanese creators want to do. If they want to do like a Great Pretender style thing, which I think Great Pretender is actually pretty good for the most part, then more power to them. If they want to make, uh, I think uh, somebody says in this article, an American sitcom into an anime then that's totally fine if they want to do it. I want to see a Japanese person's perspective on that. And I want to see animation that collaborates between the Japanese and Western people and what that causes. So that's my opinion on it. Guardian Enzo, tell me what you think of all this in this whole article. Well, I, I you know, I think Sakurai uh, is, um, he's, this is spin. Let's be clear. He has a, he has an agenda here and he's spinning this in a positive way. So I think one should read this article with that in mind. However, I think a lot of what he says is fundamentally true. And I think one element that you take away from this is Sakurai says he went into this thing with Netflix kind of having his doubts about whether they were serious about anime or not. Right. Or they just saw it as like an idea like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make a couple of bucks off this. And then he realized fairly quickly that they are serious about it. And I would agree with that. I, I think the evidence is that they're more serious about this than many anime fans, which Sakurai undoubtedly was and is thought they were. Now, that said, we've talked about Netflix almost as much as we've talked about Kimetsu over the course of this podcast. So uh, the, our, our whole series of podcasts, 14 or whatever it is now. So um, I think my take on Netflix is, and I think this is, we've discussed this, there are upsides and downsides to their involvement. And I think reading through this article, I see more confirmation of what we've already kind of stipulated on our show than anything revolutionary here. I think in general, we're both of the opinion that they're, they're, their influence is, should be a net positive because it reduces the influence of production committees. And when you say give producers the opportunity to create anime they want to make, I think essentially what you're saying is give producers the ability to say, fuck the production committee, I'm just going to make a show about this, that, or the other. And because production committees are, by their very nature, limiters, they're like, let's make another idol anime, let's make another, let's make another isekai adaptation, let's do another cute girl show. And if you look at what's on tap for winter, for spring 2021, the overwhelming majority of stuff on the anime schedule for those seasons is still production committee stuff. And it's, it fits in those very, very limited windows that production committees are now willing to give money to. Netflix, to the extent that they can bypass that, great. The downside 
first, the money Netflix is pumping in is still not reaching animators who are still working for starvation wages, especially in-betweeners. That's bad. Netflix doesn't seem interested in changing that. That's bad. They need to get interested in changing that. They need to get into the point where they're saying, I don't care how you normally do business. If we're bankrolling a project, there's going to be a minimum standard of how people who work on it are going to be paid. Period. End of sentence. Netflix has the power to do this. They haven't done it yet. Shame on them. Okay. I'll get that out of the way. Okay. Next point I want to make. We talked about this last week or the week before, I forget. But one of the things Netflix seems to be doing is softening the definition of anime. I like the idea that that anime can do stuff like uh, Great Pretender, which is very clearly internationally focused. But let's be clear, this director, the last series or one of the last series he did was 91 Days, which is a very similar idea. It's an internationally focused story, obviously based on Hollywood tropes rather than anime tropes. And he got that funded without Netflix's help. So it's not impossible that this could get done without Netflix. I worry a little bit about anime that's not produced by Japanese people or in Japan being called anime because Netflix wants to blur the boundaries of what anime is. I think that can go too far, and I worry that that may happen. One of the things that uh, Cecilia talks about in the article is how anime is, Netflix is trying to get French uh, animators more involved. Well, that's great. I will point out, though, people like Thomas Romain, uh, you know, we've talked about how France is the is the number two place in the world for anime and manga fandom because they have a huge comics culture there. You know, if you look at Satellite and, and companies like that, the French have had an influence on anime for a long time. So again, and Netflix is not reinventing the wheel here, but if they're allowing more international influence, that's great. Uh, we talked about Radiant, which was not a Netflix production, but if Netflix says, let's make some more Manfra into anime, I say, great, there's plenty of them out there. My So my final thought on this is, you know, again, Netflix, use your authority to make a difference here. And, and, and you know, some of that couch cushion money, which means nothing to you, let's insist on some of that money getting to the animators. And don't go crazy with blurring the definition of anime because one of the reasons people like anime is it is something different than Western animation. And you can blur those lines too much and the difference becomes indistinct. And then I think you have a problem. So I would, that's the one cautionary note I would throw in. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I think at the end of this, to kind of put a pin in this guardian Enzo has definitely got that concern of the blurring of what an anime is. I'm less so concerned about it, and I'm even more so less concerned about it now that I know that it's not a Netflix-mandated thing. Even if it's a spin, there are people who are interested in this collaboration and this newer process and what emerges from that. It might not be anime. I'm excited about that. Cecilia and Guardian Enzo seem to have a, a different opinion. Read the article, sound off in the comments. We'll be curious to have this conversation going, and maybe it erupts into an even bigger thing for the topic of the month. We'll see. Anyway, that wraps up our news for the week, Guardian Enzo. So we'll skip on over to the last part of this podcast, which is... Listener questions. All right, dear listeners, it's your time. It's your moment and it's time for you to tell us exactly how you feel. Uh, and Guardian Enzo, so this week we'll do feedback and we'll do listener questions all in one. And I want to start with my favorite piece of feedback from 
Elia Notari over at Lost in Anime, and she said, props, props to Setsuken for quoting Lil Karibo at the end. This is in reference to my screw the rules, I have money, which is from Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged, and I threw that in hoping somebody would get it. So this is the first episode of Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged. I'll link to it in the description if you haven't seen it. The Abridged stuff can be hit or miss on YouTube, but Yu-Gi-Oh! Abridged is some of the funniest stuff I've seen. So uh, definitely t- uh, take a look at that. And thank you, Ilya, for getting what I was saying there. You and I are on the <laughs> same wavelength, it seems. Um, okay. Then we have Key from Lost in Anime, who said that the introductory animation in the beginning was a nice touch. Uh, hope you guys continue to experiment. On the uh, beginning animation, I'm glad people liked that, or at least one person did. I spent a god-awful amount of time on that, but um, I want to continue to increase our production value, so we'll continue to do that. Uh, any comments on the experimentation part of it? Yeah, I, I mean, it's easy for me to say because I don't have to do most of the heavy lifting, but I like experimentation. So that's how you find out what works and what doesn't, right? So experimentation is always good. Yes, we will keep experimenting within the confines of what we are able to do with the time that we have. All right. John H., your pal over at Patreon, uh, says... Was a little worried about the new direction, but I think that using the news as springboards for larger topics with headline stories is a pretty good compromise. What do you think about this? And then I'll give my opinion. Well, it's like he knew what you were going to do with this week's episode. Yeah, I think we were kind of already doing it. And I just decided people like topic of the week. And we had that really good discussion on Netflix. (laughs) Imagine that. Uh, Netflix seems to be the topic of the week more often than not. And that is what we want to do. We're still going to do the deep dives, but I think people like our discussions and our opinions. And so we'll continue to do that. And this week is a attempt to do that, just that. So we'll continue to hopefully serve you all. All right. The next one is from Ohara Winter, uh, who is a lost in anime reader that ended up going and talking to us over at YouTube. So uh, he started off by saying that he was doing this to both the boost the algorithm and that does help for sure. So this was, I believe, in the fan service episode. And then he talked about how he liked our takes on the fan service stuff, gave his own opinions. Um, and then he said, you know, he some of the stuff he feels is kind of like me and all that stuff. So we, we discussed fan service. So I don't want to get into it too much, but I will say people can go and read his comment and maybe respond to it too. It's, it's very thoughtful in a lot of ways. Um, but then he did mention one thing, which is almost like feedback, a correction or uh, almost an uh, extrapolation where he says the reason why mangas are so popular in France is because comic books have, always been a huge part of the culture then this is something that you mentioned as well and he said Mm. that you know it predates manga imports by decades i might be biased i'm totally biased he says but french comics were uh, because it's becoming more and more of a commercial thing unfortunately on a whole other level than u.s and japanese ones it can it's considered more like art there and he also mentioned that you know it's even commonly referred to as le oh can you can you help me with this guardians of le the nouveau me art. Uh, le nouveau uh, livoam art. Le, I think it's le nouveau art. I'm hoping that's right. 
which means the ninth form of art. I just want to say, if I can quickly interject here, that yes. I, at least it was my intention that that's exactly the impression we gave through through the podcast. And uh, I, if there was any miscommunication on that, it comes as a surprise to me. Because certainly my perspective on this and what I was trying to communicate was mangas are so popular in France because France has a comic culture that is very, very extensive and very, very long, which I think is exactly what uh, O'Hara Winter is, is saying here. So if there was a, if there's a, if there's a disconnect there, it kind of surprises me because that was certainly the impression. That was certainly what I was trying to say. Um, and if it came off differently, then okay, well, let's, let's correct that for sure. So thanks for bringing that up. But certainly no different than what I was trying to communicate that that France has a comics culture that rivals Japan's comics culture that goes back a very, very long time. It's considered an art form there just as it is in Japan. And that's why in a sense, manga and anime, one of the reasons why they have become so popular in France is because they have this culture of their own that goes back so far. Yeah. And I think Europe and France has been like the cultural art uh, center for a long time in art history and stuff like that. And if you look at like stuff like Art Nouveau and some of those uh, movements, I can see the parallels with Japanese art as well and manga specifically. So uh, a lot of that, you know, I took art history in college and my art history professor would probably mm. skewer me for how much I've forgotten. But I, I remember when I was in that art history class looking at some of the Art Nouveau stuff and saying, wow, that reminds me of anime. And I, I know it's popular <laughs> to do like fan arts and stuff uh, of uh, of manga and anime properties in that Art Nouveau style with the really cool nature uh, frames and everything like that. So, And I also should say that shoujo manga is heavily, heavily, heavily European influenced in its art style. Shoujo is, uh, and heavily, heavily Italian, uh, a lot too, in addition to French. But there's a huge, huge European influence in shoujo art style, particularly. Yep, yep. And I was just going to say tarot cards and a lot of that design seems uh, to yeah, yeah. pull from Art Nouveau as well. So mm. I I think France is a huge deal. And I think just Europe as in general, a lot of... Japan is particularly obsessed with Europe and you see that in anime and their art style and all that stuff. And, you know, the way they regard uh, European culture. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Thank you for the extrapolation. Uh, always interested to get a French person or, you know, a native person of that mm. country, their perspective on something. So it adds a layer of authenticity to it, I think. Okay, now quickly, just before we go on that, two points I want to raise for people. If you're really interested in art history, uh, Rick Steves, the, the the European travel expert, has his own YouTube channel and his website, of course. He has some excellent like hour-long uh, art history lectures he does where he basically summarizes European art in like three or four hour-long blocks. Really, really interesting to get a, a kind of a shorthand version of European art history, which people get doctorals in. So obviously, you're not going to get all of it in an hour. But he does have some great videos on this. And also, if you're interested in a Euro-Japanese collaboration anime that really, really takes a deep dive into the European influence uh, and and how anime perceives it, uh, Ikoko no Mero Kwase is an absolutely wonderful manga and anime. The mangaka tragically died before she finished the the manga, but there's a wonderful anime from 2011 
uh, uh, and it it's done by satellite, which has a lot of French uh, animators working at it, and it's set in France, so that's a great one to check out. Fantastic one to check out. Yeah, we'll leave descriptions for both of those, or links in the description for both of those things. Thank you, Guardian Enzo, for that extra extracurricular stuff. There you go. Let's move on to our only question of the week, because it seems like we get more uh, people fired up about the things we say. But um, Red asked a question from you, I believe, at Lost in Anime, and both of us, I think. What do you think of anime user scores ratings, uh, IMDb, my anime list, Rotten Tomatoes, etc.? And any thoughts on the worst anime series as perceived by the general public, but but are actually decent, even great when you yourself watch it so i'm gonna distill this because this could become a variety of topics let's just talk about user scores and the perception of anime based off of user scores guardian enzo and then the the examples and stuff like that will leave for a, a deeper dive at some point okay you want me to go first yes please Okay, uh, I could have easily answered that second question of his as with R15, but let's talk about um, the general zeitgeist of, of, and he doesn't mention one which I actually find probably comes closest to mirroring my own taste, which is uh, Anime Planet, which I find has a uh, has an aggregator. What well, their aggregator scores more closely mirror mine than MAL. Let's put it that way. So I'm assuming that their that their user base is 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 more similar to mine in in terms of taste but aggregator scores are interesting uh i think we can pretend they don't influence us but i think we're kidding ourselves if we think they don't that being said i tend to disagree with them a lot (laughs) uh you know rotten tomatoes mostly for movies imdb is an interesting one you can look at because you know you do get anime aggregator scores on there MAL seems to be the one that anime fans probably focus on the most. Um, they're they're an interesting barometer. It's interesting to see how people view stuff. I tend to try to avoid looking at aggregator scores like premieres is where this is especially important. I always find myself tempted to go to Mal or Anime Planet and see how something is scoring out on the before the first before I watch the first episode. But I try not to because I don't want it to influence my own perception of a, of a premiere. And it, it does, whether I admit it or not. So that's the challenge, really. I, I think they're largely BS. But, I, I you know, Hunter Hunter is over nine on, on Mel. So, I mean, they get there is some great series. Like Vagabond is one of the highest rated manga of all time. Hunter Hunter is one of the highest rated anime of all time. So on Mel. So there are... You know, Baka updates is another one for manga. If you if you want to look at aggregator scores, that manga get a lot of votes on those, so that's a good one to check out if you're really interested in aggregator scores. It's a double edged sword, for sure. Uh, it it can definitely influence you in ways that you don't want it to influence you. And the other thing that happens too is we had a great thing where Chihaya Furu three uh, fans of I hate to say it, but fans of Vinland Saga were bombing the mal rankings with zeros and ones trying to get the score down so that vinland saga would be the highest rated anime of the season so uh, just understand that and mal was criminally negligent in how quickly they responded to that so understand when you look at stuff on mal you may have some malfeasance in how those scores are being compiled you can't take them necessarily at face value 
Yes, I don't really care or look at user aggregator scores most of the time. I am more of a review connoisseur, uh, and I will read people's thoughts and hopefully without spoilers, but sometimes you do run the risk of spoilers. But I think scores as a whole and aggregator scores are A, they're very reductive. B, it's not actually a great barometer of like the general public because it's a very specific type of user that will take the time to sign up on a website, create an account, then do the rating and all that other stuff. And so for me, that stuff isn't that interesting. And even if I read a review or an article on something, I'm less interested in what grade or what score the writer gives it and what they say. Because what they say is ultimately what informs me about whether I may potentially like this thing or not. And one day I want to do a larger uh, discussion, Guardianzo, on reviews and what they mean. But for now, I think that's my thoughts on it. I completely ignore it. I don't even know. And every time I do end up looking, which is when my brother kind of mentions, oh, this one was rated really highly. Um, I just need to go look at The Great Passage and how it's an eight and just completely disagree with anything uh, people at my anime list are saying. So yeah, for me, I, I, I just avoid it like the plague rotten tomatoes well, as well. Um, the only time I'll, I'll look at this stuff is if I'm covering a news story or something like that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not that interesting to me. So that's my take on it. I don't look at it that much red. I don't know if that's good or bad, but, um, I think, it's a fun little exercise and that's all it is. And it's an exercise that I don't particularly partake in podcasts, comments on Reddit, uh, stuff like that is more my speed. So there you go. There's that. All right. So that is it for this week. Uh, hopefully some of the experiments we did, uh, trickle dear fancy, dear listeners, I am going to end by saying that I failed you all this week. I've been trying to get this podcast down to 45 minutes and it hasn't happened yet. And I have a strong suspicion that I'm going to, that we're both, I think guardians are going to continue to fail at this, but we'll try. We'll try to get it down to 45 minutes if we can, but we're never going to limit the discussion. So this is shorter than your two hour podcast, but I think, and It'll be bite-sized enough where you can enjoy it and piece it into chunks and get some good discussions there. Anything you want to say before we head out, Guardian Enzo? Nope. Just thanks, as always, to everyone for listening. And, uh, you know, stay safe out there. Exercise common sense in what you think is safe and what not. And don't don't let peer pressure force you to do things like go to big Thanksgiving gatherings that you feel are not safe. If you don't think it's right to go, don't go. Don't go. But do subscribe like yes and review us yes but not on mel uh yeah not on mel we're not an anime so i don't think you'll have too much of a problem <laughs> there um you can find us oh uh, find our stuff over at anime-evo.net lostinanime.com at guardian enzo at setsukin at notaku pod i got it right this time yay yay um and notaku at anime-evo.net uh, submit your questions however you feel comfortable. YouTube is obviously preferred. Uh, give us some reviews on Spotify or iTunes. That would that would help us out quite a bit. We haven't been getting too many of those. But thank you once again, and we will see you next time.